Hey everybody, it's Keith. I've just returned from a trip to Central and Caribbean America, or rather the Caribbean and Central America. And uh, I'd like to review this trip a little bit with a focus on Panama, which is a pretty interesting country at the center of this area. I took this trip just on the personal note of this uh, with my parents and brother to celebrate Thanksgiving, allegedly. And um, it was fine as far as trips go. Um, quite frankly, it ranks pretty low on trips I've taken in regard to enrichment and enjoyment. I'm not actually even sure why we really did it, save for the fact that my brother and I both do like to visit new places, and part of that is a kind of ticking off the list of new countries that we like to go to. I would say for my brother, very much so, ticking off a list. For me, um, I'm interested in parts of the world and understanding parts of the world. I can't say that I have a significant interest in this part of the world in particular, but I'm not against it by any means. I suppose I'm just happy to admit my biases in terms of what appeals to me. Um, and this ain't it, frankly, and I'll get into that. But I do want to um, also share some excitement I had in seeing this area of the world and how it you know, somewhat has overlapped with other places I've been to and then how it was distinct. But to really like kind of focus on Panama specifically because it is kind of this interesting crossroads, if you will. And I mean that geographically, culturally and politically, it's not too dissimilar from, you know, its neighbors, but it does have its own thing going on. And um, I want to talk about those things, actually. So first, I want to get a bigger picture of how we talk about the world and places. You know, it's one of my favorite topics to try and properly delineate and categorize parts of this planet because I don't think that countries are a very good way to do that. I think regions are better, but people aren't even clear on what those regions are. I think if you ask most, most people from the USA, they're very happy just looking at a map and seeing that the Americas are kind of easily divided into North and South America. And, you know, when I get into these conversations about geography with people, they really lambast me for like claiming, for instance, that Mexico is part of Latin America and not part of, quote, North America. I use the phrase North America to refer to, refer to the USA and Canada, which is very distinct um, on so many levels. It's part of Western canon, most specifically. It's a, you know, it's the world leader in terms of culture and um, consumer uh, power and political influence and all these things. And it has a lot to, it has a lot of ties with Europe and the Western, Western canon broadly to include Australia and New Zealand and perhaps South Africa and Israel. In any case, this is not true about Mexico, let's be honest. Mexico uh, speaks Spanish, which is obviously a clear difference, along with the rest of most of South America, excluding Brazil, which you could separate as a Portuguese-speaking place. But, you know, Portuguese and Spanish, they're both Latin, and, you know, there's some understanding there, very distinct from English. And the histories of 
Mexico downward are more similar, I would say. You have a lot more of a mixture, uh, ethnic admixture of Amerindian peoples in, in Latin America, uh, which is to say that the native um, American people groups blended in much better and more significantly than in North America, where by and large they were killed off and um, partitioned into, you know, I guess the official word is reservations. So this is a huge distinction. Um, of course, you know, the Americas as a whole were conquered by the Spanish and predominantly, or rather I should say Europeans predominantly, Spanish more specifically to Latin America and the English to North America. So, you know, I think that history clearly def defines the differences there. Um, obviously it's, you know, these borders are messy living in Southern California, as I do, I see plenty of Spanish influence. But let's be honest, this is part of North America, obviously. So I don't mean any of this disparagingly, but um, I think some people from Latin America will take umbrage or offense because speaking to many of them as I have, they like to think of the Americas in general as one big continuous place. And people from Panama, for instance, might define themselves as Panamanian within the Americas and also call themselves American just as much as I might call myself an American. Which I've listened to that argument a lot and I just don't think it's fair. You know, we don't really have a better word to describe ourselves as Americans. I suppose we could use our state, which I am happy to do. I call myself a Californian more so than an American. But I take their point that, you know, this land mass is kind of continuous, and Panama, I think, really exemplifies that. Panama is that sliver of land that connects, you know, the northern continent from the southern continent, if you want to think about continents as these, like, really distinct land masses. It is that sliver that humanity has kind of carved a canal through, and that was the major draw for us to go there. Um, we were curious to kind of see this engineering wonder of the world. And in reflection, I don't really know why I even cared to see it. Um, I think it's just like, you know, it, when you take cruise ships, as my family has done several times, it's kind of like one of these um, cruises that's just thrown on that list of, you know, things to do. And it's also just a way for my brother and I to tick off the nearby places that we're curious about. So on this trip, we visited Costa Rica and Colombia, Cartagena specifically, which I was really interested in seeing, and I'm very happy to have been there now. And then it also included the ABC Islands, which are part of the Caribbean Antilles. Those are the Dutch islands of Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao, which I had been to before. And so it seemed like a fine itinerary when my brother proposed this trip, and it was fine. It was a little long. I have to say on a personal note that I don't really need this kind of extended time in a kind of difficult area of the world with my uh, my family. Um, I don't think I'm craving extra time as a as a fully grown adult man that has good connections to them all already. Like this is not what I'm really needing in my life, to be honest. But I certainly don't begrudge it because I do love my family. And I'm able to bond with each of them uh, in our ways. So that's that. It was a it was a cruise. Um, 
you know, I have some thoughts about cruising in general. It's not specifically my thing, I would say, but my parents and my brother do seem to love it. Um, it's kind of an exhausting schedule, arriving in port early in the morning and then leaving, you know, before sunset from every port. So you never really get to experience nightlife in any of these places. Um, you never get to, like, have just a full relaxing day in these places. It's always somewhat confined by tourist paths, for better or worse. And... Um, it's just not quite how I would want to see certain places, you know, like Rome. I would not want to just experience on a cruise as an obvious example. But, you know, a place like Panama, maybe it's fine to see it as just a cruise stop. Now, that wasn't actually the case because we were in and out of Panama City, so we actually spent more time there. Actually, now saying that, I'm not even sure that's true because we arrived one morning spent kind of a half day barely on land and boarded the ship and then coming back in. We did have a basically kind of full day in quotes in Panama City before flying out, but we didn't really take advantage too much of it. You know, my, as my brother put it, there's not that much to see in Panama City. And he's quite biased because he's not really interested in experiencing cities the way I might. He's certainly no flaneur. He's more, again, ticking off the sights with his camera and moving on. Whereas I really do like to stroll the streets of like old Cartagena as an example, take it all in with my camera much slower, um, more street photography style, um, stop by for coffees and cocktails and shops and pharmacies and whatnot. So that's how I roll. Um, and I would say, you know, with that perspective, it does bias me toward European places and, uh, major metro cities of the world that's kind of the person i am and i'm not afraid to say that i think that a lot of people a lot of us might not have formed our opinions yet i think certainly backpackers and this younger generation really like to have a open a wide open mind toward all cultures kind of equally and think perhaps you know cairo or you know uzbekistan or you know any random part of the world is equally as interesting and i cannot argue with that for certain, these places all have their merits, and if you're totally wide open to every single possibility on Earth, why not? But I think as you do define yourself through time and taste, uh, you start gravitating towards certain things. And for me, those things tend to be more Western canon, you know, coffee culture, maybe hipster culture, you know, aesthetics around art and fashion and, you know, party life and maybe hookup culture and people I can relate to and this kind of thing, you know, and I'm just not ashamed to say that. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit our tastes and preferences. So, you know, going to this part of the world, I, I'm going to describe it a bit. And I just, I do want to admit that bias that, I mean, just in general, the tropics aren't my thing. So this is an area of the world that's defined by plenty of rainfall with like a very moderate climate year round, which is why it is an active travel destination for people wanting to escape the winter. Now I live in Los Angeles, so it's like not that significant of a winter to escape, you know, which is also why it doesn't interest me that much. You know, I've had a lot of time on beaches in my life living in Berlin. I certainly would crave a good beach and, um, I am more beach oriented than my mom or brother for are, for instance. Um, 
I love being on the beach. But uh, yeah, I don't need that as my like defining feature in a, in a vacation. I like culture and I like history and understanding the world. So of course I'm gonna have things to say about this part of the world. They're just, you know, and as a photographer, I'll take pictures of almost everything. But you know, it, it reminds me of when I traveled to Southeast Asia. I ended up writing a novel when I was there because as a visual artist, I just didn't really think <laughs> I wanted to make work about that part of the world. And this is gonna sound really perhaps superficial or um, I don't know, flippant. But you know, this color palette of just like the rainforest, you know, all these really lush greens and browns and, you know, really like dense greenish brownish waters aren't really my palette, to be honest. I, I really more so fetishize the Mediterranean blue waters, you know. I would not even say that like tropical white sand beaches with clear water is my thing. I really prefer like the deep blue sea and like the like sun-kissed white rocks of Greek islands, for instance, against that. And perhaps the like frolicking uh, travelers and locals with that backdrop in mind. So that's kind of like what I know about myself. I like getting a good Wi-Fi signal, you know, near the beach. I like, um, you know, the calm that comes with a slightly more refined experience of, let's say, middle-class Westernism versus, say, like, the experience of having things sold to you constantly by hawkers on the beach walking around. Um, that's just less appealing to me. So it is what it is, you know. I was watching a lot of, like, tourism videos about Panama, trying to get a better sense before and after, you know, before recording this podcast and before going and after going. Like, it's just funny to me, like, people describe places as if they're all equal. And I, I'm just here to not... I'm not here to do that. I'm here to give you my my honest perspective, which... Quite frankly, I just rank Panama quite low on the list of places to go for people like me. You know, I think P Panama is an interesting place to read about and an interesting place to study from an engineering and historical point of view. Now, going through the canal by cruise ship was interesting. I wouldn't say it was like photographically that interesting. Um, I wouldn't say it's even experientially interesting because it's such a slow eight-hour slog through these locks. I mean, it's not a canal. It's not a canal like the Suez Canal is, and that would actually be quite beautiful looking to me. You know, that kind of deep blue sea, um, you know, against the desert backdrop sounds much more photographically interesting to me. Um, but, you know, it is in of interest conceptually that man humankind built this series of locks to, like, traverse you know, through this landmass as so so as to save global commerce the long trip around Cape Horn, you know, in Patagonia. And that's interesting. And as an American, I suppose, or as a Californian, um, it's interesting to think about the US's involvement in that, um, which I'll tell you very briefly. Basically, you know, it was understood by a lot of people that this would be a really clever shortcut if we could just cut through the land and create this like river or canal, you know, through Panama, it would just save global traffic, shipping 
and freight so much time, which would in turn save so much money. And that money is passed on to all of us as consumers. And quite frankly, as like a global con globalist consumer kind of person, I don't know how you could really be against that. I think it's basically benefited everybody on earth. And no one really talks about that. It's like a shame of some sort to admit that, but it was done for a reason. And that reason does benefit everybody. And I think it's to the credit of the fact, like it happened because of that, right? Like, and it was hard. So first the French had to go, um, you know, you have these global powers like France and the U.S. basically leading the way on this, with the U.S. specifically doing it. And then you have the local uh, sovereign powers being Panama and also Grand Colombia, because for a moment, Panama was part of Colombia as a country. And, um, you know, I definitely grew up seeing the USA as this evil imperialist force in Central America specifically like in the decade I was born into, which was the Reagan 80s. You know, there was there were a lot of dictatorships and a lot of like drug wars that still persist to this day um, in countries like Panama, Nicaragua, El Salvador, um, Honduras, um, you know, Venezuela to this day as well. So this is a part of the world that's very fraught with crime and suffering, and it's unfortunate. And the U.S. cannot wipe its hands clean of this because, you know, it did essentially sink its teeth into this area with the Panama Canal, but has subsequently tried to maintain a sort of, you know, kind of neocon goodwill in quotes um, influence in this part of the world to kind of spread democracy, again, in quotes. Um, and the way that U the U.S. usually does that is by, like, propping up dictators that kind of enforce an American-friendly um, foreign policy. And I don't really need to get too much into that. I would say that my views of that have shifted over the years, whereas I'm not as judgmental of it. I am still judgmental of it. I think it's wrong to basically do that. But um, I'm not necessarily a fan of the alternative either. And I guess that's what like my takeaway was, one of my takeaways leaving Panama. Like I was basically unimpressed with the country and how it was running things and you know basically the u.s helped you know make this canal and then we like kind of we the the state basically like maintained ownership of it kind of like overseeing how this canal was operating and just kind of you know as the biggest consumer country with the most money um it made sense in a way that the usa had this vested interest you know it funded funded the whole thing by and large, didn't build it by hand. It was used a lot of, obviously, I don't want to say slave labor, but it used a lot of exploited labor, local and otherwise. When I say otherwise, I mean Caribbean, black, and Chinese. And yeah, it's like, it's, it's you know, it's, I suppose, easy to see the U.S. as the villain in this way. But again, this benefited the whole world by making this happen. And then in the late 70s, uh, there was a president called Jimmy Carter, who I never knew or, or anything like that, obviously, but I posthumously have really appreciated because, <laughs> posthumously, he's not dead, I'm not dead. Um, I've just appreciated his tenure upon reflection historically because, <sighs> yeah, he's just a cool guy that like put 
um, solar panels on the White House and had a like really candid way of talking about the states and the problems happening to this country and all this. And he was a, he was a liberal, he was a Democrat, and he gave Panama back, so to speak. He gave the canal back or not even back. It wasn't, I don't know. I don't know how to put that. He basically took, he removed the U.S. involvement from the canal, giving it to, giving its control to the local government of Panama, the country. Now, is that a good thing? I think yes. You know, I think we would all agree that like people, groups, nations should have sovereign reign over their territories, as you would say. But um, I'm not totally convinced by that these days. And it's not even really true. You know, I remember again back in Southeast Asia going to uh, the, the ruins of Angkor in Cambodia. Angkor Wat being the famous one. And seeing how dilapidated and in shambles a lot of those ruins, I mean, they are ruins, <laughs> how, how much work those needed in order to be maintained, especially with so many tourists coming in and sort of stepping all over it um, day after day, year after year. There's a lot of foreign funding to maintain that special area of Cambodia. Cambodia is a very, very poor country, and it needs all the help it can get. So you have countries like India and China stepping in to help maintain it. And countries don't just step in benevolently. They step in to have a stake in it a bit, right? I mean, it's a, it's foreign investment. And China is, like, really, really huge in that department these days. And um, it should be no surprise that China is heavily investing also in Panama. Now... <sighs> What do I mean when I'm questioning whether or not it's a great thing for Panama to have have sovereign control over the canal? Well, it's just a it's a developing country, and what that means is that it just doesn't have its shit together to the same extent that a developed, industrialized country does. There's more corruption, you know. There's there's less accountability. There's less leadership. Um, Panama was run by a military dictator named Manuel Noriega throughout the 80s, and he maintained influence until he died quite recently. And <sighs> dictators aren't cool. They are not cool. I don't care what any communist sympathizers might say. Countries run by dictators are not happy places, and they don't have the interests of people by and large. Now, perhaps there are exceptions. There are benevolent dictators that people supposedly love, but this wasn't really one of them. And you could kind of hear in the voices of fellow cruise passengers, of locals, of our taxi drivers, of, you know, restaurateurs, you know, there is this sense that Panama citizens just want out from under this boot and they want to practice capitalism freely. They want to practice democracy freely. These are things that like people from the USA really take for granted and even like snub which I find really immature at this point in my life. Um, and yet they'll complain that things are just a mess. And I could attest to that, you know, just from the cruise standpoint alone, having been on cruises around the world, the, you know, boarding the ship, getting to the docks, seeing the process of workers in Panama, just like kind of messing it all up. It was just very messy. It was very disorganized and chaotic. It was like not fun at all. 
And you could hear fellow people that were even local or even at least Latin American also complain about that. And it just begs the question to me, why are they running it? I mean, it is their country. It's true. But, um, you know, there are so many parts of the world that still remain sort of, you know, remnants of colonialism, you know, um, Gibraltar connected to Spain is still part of the UK. The UK has the Falkland Islands as well. Um, the US has Hawaii, but it also has Guam and American Samoa and these other territories. Places still control other places that aren't even close to them. And somehow we don't really think about that. We don't, for some reason, question why France still has French Guiana in South, South America and that it's considered part of the EU. I mean, that's crazy. Um, I mean, France, France has so many territories still. It's like a huge empire still. And no one ever talks about that. They just like to shit on the USA for being this evil colonialist empire. And I just do want to highlight that intentions matter, I think. It's one thing to be Russia, led by Vladimir Putin, and just want to like brutally take over Ukraine or parts of it, which I think most of the international community recognizes as a war crime and just a dickhead move, that's a lot different than a place like the USA sort of helping out a place like Puerto Rico, which is a US territory. Um, it's a really complicated thing. Like, should Puerto Rico be a state? Well, Puerto Rico is not American. Having been there, like, it is a very distinct place with its own culture, its own, you know, ethnic makeup. I mean, America is very, very diverse ethnically, but Puerto Rico speaks Spanish. Puerto Rico is, a, is part of Spanish Caribbean, very similar to Panama, frankly. Um, I would put those two in the same country if I was making countries as I am, <laughs> as I tend to like to do. You know, the Caribbean could easily be its own country. And a lot of Central America could be part of that. You know, Costa Rica, like talking to people there, the Caribbean side of that, which is the eastern side, is distinct from the western side, which is more the typical, that's the Pacific Ocean side, that's more typically visited by tourists. So just now we visited the, the Caribbean side, and it's, you know, it's more black, it's more connected to the roots and history of, um, of the Caribbean and the slave trade, whereas the, the western side is much more similar to um, Mexico and Central America more broadly, and Spanish colonialism. And those are two different things. And they they blend and mesh, obviously, throughout time and in various places. But none of those are similar to, like, the heartland of the USA, like Iowa, you know, which has nothing to do with any of that stuff. So, you know, it's just these kind of distinctions are interesting to make. And I think we do have to be careful. I'm trying to be careful in case you can't tell to recognize the uniqueness and individuality of places and nations but at the same time, like, we don't have all day. We can't have a million countries on this planet. We need to be able to speak in broad sense, um, in broad terms of like, you know, the Western world and maybe, you know, um, East Asia and China's huge influence or uh, South Asia and India as a huge place. You know, those two places alone are just basically a third of Earth each. <laughs> so they can be talked about on their own. You know, like, you can talk about basically China, India, and the West, since like North America and Europe together still don't equal those populations. Um, but yeah, I mean, Panama is just kind of interesting 
as a crossroads place, it, it kind of relates to Columbia to the south and, you know, all the pluses and minuses of that country. Um, and then it kind of relates to Costa Rica to the north. Costa Rica probably being the most successful, so to speak, country in Central America for sure. Um, I just have to say, like, this part of the world is just ravaged by the drug war, first and foremost. And the U.S. is not innocent there. The U.S. started the drug war for some stupid reason. After the prohibition on alcohol failed, you know, the CIA got it in its mind to just, you know, condemn illicit substances that jazz musicians and Chinese laborers were, were using. It was basically a racist, you know, decision to, you know, round up these kind of ethnic groups on the basis of drug use. And it spread like wildfire around the world, you know, and it's really sad to me that it still has such a hold um, in terms of like corruption of governments, in terms of like keeping this as a black market, you know, because Colombia specifically produces so much coffee and cocaine. It's such a stimulant rich earth there. And the coffee is legal and that's fine, but the cocaine's not. And so that's like a huge market coming from that land going through Panama north of the border and it's all controlled by violent militias with machetes and rifles machine guns so that sucks you know and it's it's not cool if you're a farmer that's just born in that area and it's like well you can grow coffee and there's like you know a decent profit to be made there or you can grow cocaine and there's a huge profit but it's super dangerous <sighs> there's not even a huge profit let's be honest that's not where the money is going to the farmers but um I hope I, my point is clear enough that this is just an area kind of ravaged by the injustices of global commerce. And it's just kind of ironic to me that we have a canal going right through it where huge amounts of, you know, shipping cargo go through there every day so that, you know, New Yorkers can get their Chinese built things. Um, and it's just, it's really, I don't know, it's really something, isn't it? And I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure if I'm happy to have been there and seen it, you know? Because, like, when I, when I think of going somewhere, I think about taking photos, um, seeing it through my eyes specifically, uniquely as an artist, so to speak, um, making bonds, you know, connecting with people that I could relate to. It's hard to do that in a place that speaks all Spanish, basically. Um, you know, imagining myself going there again, building some sort of, you know, roots there or something, planting roots. It's hard to imagine doing that in Panama or any of these places, frankly. And that's okay. But I guess I'm just putting this out there as a way to say, don't go there unless you really have a reason to go there. And I kind of think that just more broadly about the world at this point. Like, why go What's the point of going there for you now? Like the next place that you might come up with, whether it be, you know, Italy or Japan or Antarctica. Like what's the reason? Like what really motivates you to do all that stuff? It's a hassle. Traveling is actually a hassle. And, and it's funny to hear that from me, I bet, because I've done so much of it in my time. But, you know, a lot of that's been solo travel and solo travel is different. I think solo travel 
one has to be motivated internally, even by mysterious forces, and have a good sense of yourself and what you can handle and what you can do. And that's kind of all good because it's like this fun challenge that you take on. And those really are kind of like journeys of discovery and surprise. But if you're traveling with your like older parents, <laughs> it's not that. It's not what it is. Um, if you're traveling with a partner or a friend group, um, there are reasons that certain places in the world are popular for those things. Romantic places, fun places, party places, cheap places, you know, like those are good reasons. Like if you want to just get away from it all, just find a, you know, an itinerary that's not maddening, <laughs> that you can get your head around, sink your teeth into, and then enjoy it, right? And I don't really see Panama ticking any of those boxes. So it makes me confused why it is what it is, you know, like going there, it has, which is pretty common of, of cities in general in Latin America, it has its old area, its old town, which is like quite colonial and European and, you know, fun little walks. And then it has its new town, which is like very like Miami skyline vibes, just like silver skyscrapers on and on and on. A lot of, you know, foreign investment, a lot of new money. You know, Panama City is kind of considered the Dubai of Latin America. And you think, like, how did they get so rich? And it's like, well, they inherited the canal from the USA, <laughs> which, you know, tons of shipping goes through. So, yeah, you toll that, you put, you know, you know, put a price on going through that and you're going to make a ton of money. And so you have this weird country that's like still a bit backward and I don't mean that too offensively, but I do mean it a little offensively, um, you know, in terms of like democratic freedom. Um, it's, you know, it's like, it's just new money in the same way. Look, I guess I shouldn't be afraid to say it. You know, you have these oil rich countries that just blow their money on obscene things like the world cup with Qatar, you know, um, it's laughable. It's like watching somebody like it's like watching a poor person with no taste win the lottery and then like go and buy like, I don't know, a solid gold toilet or something stupid. Um, it kind of is like that. And I don't I don't want to say it too strongly because I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of good spots in New Panama City. I didn't see any of them. They were very hard to see except for by highway. Um, but you know, my brother was staying in one of those hotels when we arrived and it was not impressive. You know, it only looks impressive from the road. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just wasn't impressed with Panama. Um, and I think it says something, right? I feel like I could be talking about maybe Vegas even like there's something impressive by, in terms of spectacle, sheer spectacle to see a place that, you know, has this sort of calling card like we have this really in like insane canal this this insane feat of engineering where like tens if not hundreds of thousands of people died making this thing like a hundred years ago or more and now it's kind of like the pyramids you know you throw all this human energy and you know you know work and suffering into a thing and then you do make something and I think as a species, there's something to be proud of there. But then it's like the dark side of it too, right? And there obviously is a dark side. And you just look at this place and you're like, okay, 
here's a struggling place that was colonized by the Spanish and then, you know, created all this market with slave labor around sugar and, and other things. But then, you know, with this canal, just like with all the railroad histories, you have all these laborers coming in and dying to build it. And then you have this money-making machine that the U.S. quite benevolently hands over. You know, the U.S. and, you know, Britain don't really get credit, but they do hand over a lot of things like that. Um, and then you have this kind of like immature country just like throwing up skyscrapers with that money. And I guess it's a good place for business. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not really impressed with Panama and I guess I wish I had more supportive things to say, but again, I will admit, like I don't speak Spanish, um, rainforests and tropical climates don't speak to my soul the way that sun and even tundra do speak to my soul um so you know it's like what is the purpose what is like what nourishes your soul when you when you go somewhere when you take aim at a place um i think you have to have some guiding principles there and I suppose for me, it was family time and to be able to bond with my brother in terms of seeing the world. Um, but even there, like we have such different takes on how we do that, that it makes me question, you know, like he was wanting to like rent a car on, for instance, Aruba and Bonaire and Curacao and just like drive the rim of those islands and ask local taxi drivers to just like show him all the sites. This is not the way that I want to see an island like I do love to rent a motorbike and just like cruise in that fashion because I just love riding on a bike and feeling the wind in my face and casually just pulling over when I see a good photo opportunity and capturing a nice landscape like I love that but you know when I'm with my parents I can't do that so then you know renting a car can be nice but like I don't need to go and see every lighthouse you know lighthouses are really underwhelming 90% of the time I don't need to see like these old slave huts or, you know, this new hotel building or something. Like, it's just not, you gotta know, you have to know what a place is worth, like what it's for. When you go to a place, like, you know, I talk about this with my family. We went on a cruise years ago to New Zealand and we saw a lot of that country. And I could really say that I've been to New Zealand. Um, and a lot of those towns that we saw, I mean, New Zealand is small. Um, it's like bio, it's a, bio, uh, <laughs> it's naturally diverse. There's a lot of like biomes there, which is really cool to see. And you can see them all like that on a cruise ship. It's like a good way to see the country. The biggest city there, Auckland is small. It's less than 4 million. I think it's less than 2 million. I think the whole country is like 4 million. Oh yeah. I meant to put that in perspective too. Panama also small, you know, it's also like it's 4.3 million people. That's small. That's smaller than my neighborhood of Los Angeles. So, you know, I just want to put that in perspective with everybody. Like, it's really maybe part of, like, the Andean community, just north of the Andean community, which itself is not very big. I mean, Latin America is not very populous, okay, just to, just to remind people. Um, but, yeah, New Zealand, we had that cruise, and it was great to see the fjords in the south and just to see these small towns on the eastern side of the islands. And we ended that tour in Australia. And I spent another 
three weeks around Australia. And then I went to um, Bali and Southeast Asia. But my parents and my brother, they just went from the cruise ship at like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. into a taxi cab straight to the airport of Australia and left. They didn't spend one day. They didn't even spend a meal of time in Sydney, Australia. Um, have they been there? No, I would say not. You know, like they didn't even get a photo of the opera house. They didn't do anything of note. And, you know, I suppose something that I think I'm quite um, qualified in is being able to say what counts as having been to a place or having experienced a thing. What, what counts as partying in Berlin? What counts as having a romantic relationship? You know, what counts as having been there and seen something and experienced something? I think I know that stuff. I think it's my job, frankly, to know that stuff. And I think with Panama, what counts is understanding the canal, having a, a sense of it, being able to say something intelligent, like it uses a lock system, you know, to uh, raise and lower the water levels in order to, to cruise through this landmass. It's not a natural stream, you know, to be able to say that and see it and know it. That's like the most significant part of Panama, frankly. Um, but otherwise, like, you're really talking in general about the region, that it's, you know, rainforest and lush green, you know, with, like, brown water. And that it's Spanish-speaking with, like, Caribbean influences. So, like, this is what it means to be, be in Panama. What does it mean to be in Aruba? Well, Aruba is an island. It's island life. We all kind of know what that means, pina coladas and stuff. It has resorts. It is kind of a getaway. It's like slightly, you know, it's more off the beaten path than somewhere like Cancun, right? Or Hawaii or the U.S. Virgin Islands. It's still run by the Dutch. They have dominion over it, um, but they have less dominion over Aruba than they have over Bonaire because Bonaire is much smaller and cannot be independent. Whereas Aruba is more like Puerto Rico. Like it's kind of its own thing, but it's also kind of part of this other bigger country. And it has this complex relationship with the colonizers, you know, who are still kind of friends, but you also have to test them and want reparations. Like, it's it's tricky, right? But, like, what counts as being in Aruba? Well, for sure, a beach. For sure. Like, it's, it, it's famous for, like, beautiful beaches. What else do you need to do there? I mean, it's not famous for a lighthouse, I'll tell you that. It's not famous for, you know, any industry within that little island except for the tourism. So it's just, I think it's worth knowing why you should go to a place. You know, like with Los Angeles, where I live now, I mean, why would you come here? What's the point of coming to Los Angeles? Like a lot of people would come here for like Disneyland, I guess, which is not even in LA, but greater LA for um, people come here for Hollywood. People move here for Hollywood. Um, but visitors tend to be like disappointed by LA because they don't really know what to do here, which is fair enough. Like... LA doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the obvious iconic sites the way New York does. There's no Statue of Liberty or Empire State Building or even like the famous bridges, you know, or like, you know, the famous bars and restaurants necessarily that New York might have. Um, there's no Times Square in LA. So it's like people come to LA and they go to Santa Monica Pier and they go to like, 
I don't know, Grauman's Chinese Theater, you know, um, Hollywood Boulevard and stuff. And they're like, well, I guess I saw L.A. Like, no, you didn't see L.A. To see L.A., you have to have a friend that's a local and know where, like, underground things are. And it's just like, it's not that kind of city. And I don't really encourage people to do L.A. for that reason. Because, again, like, what's your point of coming to a place? Like, L.A. is a good place to live. You know, it's a very accessible lifestyle that's very, you know, well-paced unless you have to commute through traffic. So it's just, it's worth knowing what a place is. And I guess that's what I'm trying to explain here. Like, the Caribbean is a really interesting place that I've, I did this episode about, like, a couple years ago, trying to, like, dissect the the small islands to the on the eastern edge of the Caribbean Sea. And, you know, this trip was kind of like an addendum to that. I, I guess I wanted to have a, like a better sense of the Caribbean in general. And quite frankly, the Western Caribbean is just not as interesting because Central America isn't as confusing and confounding in terms of politics and influences the way that Eastern Caribbean is because it's all basically Spanish, you know, Whereas Eastern Caribbean is like French and English and Dutch and Spanish and some of them are free independent countries and others aren't, you know. So when I when I have on my apps or on online when I try and track how many countries I've been to, some will say like 85, others will say 75 because is Aruba a country? Well, no, but yes. I mean, it's not, it's not Holland, but it is, right? So... To me, it's just interesting to think of stuff like that, but it's kind of just like this nerdy, you know, navel-gazing experience. At the end of the day, these are just tropical islands, (laughs) and Panama's not. Panama's not a tropical island. Panama is a really weird, new, newly developed place off of, you know, shipping industry money that the U.S. basically gave them and, and Panama now has like a interesting f- quasi-friendly relationship with the U.S. It gets to resent it because it took over the country to build it and used its own local labor force, you know, bled that dry. Um, but then it did produce this huge money-making thing, you know, and now it's a partner that overlooks it militarily and helps it. And, you know, it's just kind of funny. Like colonialism is always just totally mocked and critiqued and criticized all the time by westerners primarily and yet all of the places that have been colonized are better off than the places that haven't been and those places maintain quite healthy relationships with their former colonizers and that's interesting that has to give you pause about judging western history It has to give you pause. And if you are just adamant about judging that, about judging this foreign influence on a place and not respecting, you know, whatever, the sovereignty or the cultures or the, you know, the peoples of these places, well, then think about what's happening now, specifically with China, specifically with all of China's new money influencing so many places. Think about Qatar and how they own a lot of, football teams in Europe, you know, why are the, why is the Paris football team owned by a Qatari prince? Why is so much, why is so much real estate in Manhattan owned by Saudi and Qatari and Emirati money? Like, 
you're not going to judge that. You think it's so bad when America stakes a claim or, you know, has like capital and colonial dominion over a place, but then that's fine. It's fine if like oil money or new Chinese, you know, communist party money buys up this stuff. I think it's interesting to think about that stuff. And, you know, I guess I give my, I give my country's history a bit of slack because I don't really support any of the like neocon Reaganite or Bush era stuff. Cause I think it was really misguided and, and stupid and a waste of time and energy and life. But there is something to be said for spreading democracy abstractly. I think it's like a fair noble goal in a way. doesn't seem to turn out very well most of the time, which I think is why we don't really want to be doing it anymore, but it's better than just hostile takeover by a dictator. It's better than, you know, wanting to make trade partners around the world is better than just trying to take over land to control it and, you know, commit ethnic genocide of the place. That's worse, I would say. Anyways, I'm getting a bit off topic here. I was meant to be talking about Panama. I think I've said a few things that hopefully were interesting. Um, I've ticked it off my list. I won't be going back to Panama, probably not to Costa Rica either. Colombia, I would do Cartagena again. I've been to Bogota. I would like to spend more time in Cartagena, but I would like to spend more time in a lot of places. And I'd probably prefer, you know, um, Croatia over Colombia if I was to choose a cool, lively, bustling place on a sea. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm entering the point in my life where I'd rather revisit places that I know I love and have some like wistfulness and emotion attached to it than just go just because. I mean, these places are also just not very easy to get to. Flights aren't exactly cheap. They're not that close. So um, yeah, Latin America is an interesting place that I'm rooting for. I'd like it to become safer. I'd like the drug wars to end. Um, but right now it's not the case. So, um, yeah, I don't mean to, to say stay away. I think it, it calls the people it should call to it. And otherwise I think people should know themselves enough to know the destinations that best suit them. And with that, I will leave it until next time, guys. Ciao.